want you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark. We're going to continue on with our sermon series in the, through the, the, the book of Mark. So this past Friday night, young adults got together, and I am so glad that they include me in that. I think I'm a young adult still at heart. And in this time together, we, we, we had some fun and we enjoyed each other. And then we, we focused on the word and what the word had to say about encouragement. And uh, we especially looked at Hebrews chapter 3 and 10 and just bringing a word of encouragement while it's called today. And I just want you to know, while it's called today, because tomorrow... That may be the day in which the devil pulls our hearts his way. And so while it's called today, before that hardness of heart, Hebrews 3 talks about, speak that word of encouragement. So that's just a challenge. Before I get into the word today, that's our challenge. I'm giving you time to get to Matthew, to, to Mark chapter 3, you understand. Uh, that is a challenge that I want to lay before you. Allow yourself to hear from the Spirit and speak words of encouragement. And so we just spent some time, about 30 minutes or so after the, uh, the Bible study on encouragement, and that's what we did. We just, we just spoke words of encouragement to one another, thanking God for them, you know, drawing out and calling out the golden people. And I'm sorry if you missed it. Uh, you could have been encouraged. Young adults, you could have been encouraged that night if you missed it. But let's encourage one another while it's still called today. Amen. Look, be intentional. Look for those opportunities. Okay, that's my sermon. Let's pray. <laughs> that would be enough. It really would, I hope. Because we want to go from, when we're gathered together, church, don't you want to be so filled up with Jesus that when you leave, you just radiate and shine Jesus wherever you go? That when people look at you, they say, you know what, there's something different. Because that was what Moses, that was his argument before, the, before God. God, you got to go with us into the promised land. Because if you don't, if you don't, what's going to distinguish us as your people from the rest of the world? So church, that's my question to you. What distinguishes you from the rest of the world? I believe that what distinguishes you is this call of God on your life and to call you out of darkness into his light, to call you out of your past, out of that old man, that old lifestyle. He had to do something amazing and just mind-blowing in your heart that the Bible calls being born again. Paul called it, you become a new creation, That's what God did, and, and so he has now called you, and that's what I want us to focus on today. I want to, what is it that qualifies you? What is it that qualifies you to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus? What is it that qualifies you to be a world changer? And I hope that that's something that beats in your heart. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Miracle starring Kurt Russell? Okay. All right. Wow. Raise your hands again. Oh, great. So this will be new for some of you. Maybe you saw the movie and you're just not connecting it in your brain this morning. And okay, good morning. It's, 11, it's after 11 o'clock. So maybe, when I start telling the story, maybe you will recognize it. It is about a gentleman by the name of Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks, is a, he was a hockey player. He became a coach. And he was asked to coach the 1980 USA hockey team. Now to do this... He had tryouts, just like any hockey coach would want to do. He's got assistants, of course, and he has all of these amazing college 
athletes and their, you know, this is before they allowed pros to, to join. And, and all these college athletes, and they're skating around, and they're shooting, and they're passing, and they're doing all of these stuff and trying to impress her Brooks so that they would be qualified for this 1980 Olympics team. And Herb wrote down certain names, and there's one thing that he did that when he presented it to the, the Olympics committee, they really had a problem with it because he did not choose any of the best, the best of the best. They didn't choose them. And they, they said, why, you know, what about this person and this person and this person and this person? He scored the most goals the whole season. Why didn't you ask him? And he said, it's because of this, because he's not going to know how to play on my team because my team is going to be a team. It's not a bunch of personal standouts that want to show everybody how good they are. And so he, what qualified them is, yes, they were skilled, but they knew how to be selfless in their play. That's what he looked for. He looked for not the best. In 1980, as he took that team through a lot of heartache and trials and, and really struggled trying to get his assistant coaches to understand what he was really trying to do here and pulling together a team, he faced the Russians in the finals. The Russians had not lost a game for however long. They had played for 10 plus years together as a team and these hockey players for what, less than a year? And so as they were going through the hockey uh, you know, playoffs and such to reach the, the, the finals, they were doing well. They struggled, but the U.S. team was doing well. But now they played the Russian team in the finals. And it was back and forth, back and forth. And you could tell that these Russians were so incredibly skilled. But the USA team dug it out. Their hockey, their, their goalie was amazing. I, I can't remember how many stops he had. So many more stops than the Russian goalie. He had to. And the final score was 4-3, the USA team had won. They had done something that no one ever thought they would ever be able to do. And they didn't do it with the most outstanding players. They did it with a ragtag team that knew how to play together selflessly. I want to ask you, what is it that qualifies you? What is it that beats in your heart? If you want to serve Jesus in this kingdom, you, you, you know, I'm not talking about the, the type of Christian that likes to sit on the shelf or straddle the fence, whatever other metaphor you want to use, who want to just see how things play out, who want to kick back. It's like watching a movie, and we're, we're, we love sitting on the bench. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about you out there who want to get off the bench, who want to be in the game, who want to score the goals, who want to block the shots, who want to pass, who want to be able to do everything we can to see the kingdom of God advancing, Scripture 6. Matthew 6, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if we're going to go, if we're going to go into this, and what is it that qualifies you? That's the first question you got to ask. What is it that I am seeking after in this life? Because today I am only talking to those who want to seek first God's kingdom. This sermon is not going to make sense to anyone else. 
It's going to be like wah, 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 over our heads. I don't care, whatever. I just want to have fun. I've got only a few years left on this earth. I'm young. I want to try this. I'm going to look into this. I want to be dazzled by that. I want to, bottom line, I want to be distracted for my entire life is what we're really saying. And I'm going to challenge you. Get off the fence. So seek first the kingdom of God. What is it that qualifies you? As we read through, and we're, I'm going to do something that I don't know if I've ever done before. I am actually going to preach about the names of the apostles. I'm going to preach the apostles today. And we're, we're, you're just going to read through them, and you're going to think, are you serious? You're going to preach on this text? Yes, I am. And I'm going to do it out of obedience to the Lord. But I believe that as we do this, we're going to see some things maybe we haven't seen before. Obviously, I'm going to go outside the text to, to gather some information here, but I want us to see something here today that qualified these apostles. And it is not what we generally think that qualifies anyone to be a world changer. Because that is what they did. Acts 17, these are the men, the Thessalonians says, who are turning the world upside down. And I want to just say, just so that we're relevant here, please do not look at these men as untouchable. Oh, I could never be like Peter. Oh, yes, you could. He, he was anointed for a test, but I want to tell you what his qualification, what qualified him? Absolutely you could be. And God could use you powerfully in this generation. And I'm not just saying because you're going to be a pastor or a missionary or give your life over there in the Middle East or some other place in this world preaching Jesus, but because you have made a choice to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And you're giving yourself to the kingdom of God. Remember where we're going through and we're talking about the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And this kingdom is, a, is in battle, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And Jesus is he's, he's experiencing something in his ministry very early and it forces him to action, to choose 12. Let's read about that. Are you there in Mark chapter 3? You better be my now. I've, I've had such a long introduction here. Verse 6. We're going to go, we're going to read from verse 6 all the way to verse 19. Here we go. After Jesus healed the withered man's hand on the Sabbath, and before that, on the Sabbath, they believed that he broke it again because his disciples were picking heads of grain, and the leaders, the Pharisees, are so ticked at him because they believe he's breaking the Sabbath. Verse 6, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians. The Herodians were a little bit more political in nature. That's why they're called Herodians, Herodians, right? How they might kill Jesus, all right? Verse seven, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. That is the Sea of Galilee. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was we, all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea. That's way in the south. Jerusalem, capital city. Idumea, do you know where that is? That's Edom. So that's south of the Dead Sea, not the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea. This is how far they're coming. And the regions across the Jordan, so the western, excuse me, the eastern side. <clears throat> and the region across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. And if you were to look on a map, Tyre and Sidon are like way up there. Some of you, you're not even going to find it on your Israel map because it's north of Israel. Jews living in that region were coming down. Who is this guy? Because of the crowd, 
He told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases was, were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on the mountainside, and this is where I want to focus the sermon. He went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, which you may remember means rock. <clears throat> His Hebrew name would have been Cephas. That means rock. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Aren't you encouraged now? Let's pray. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be throwing in a few words of my own with this sermon, too. Okay. So you can see the opposition that has been mounting. Jesus has called Levi. We learned about that. He has called Peter and John. Uh, excuse me, Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John by the Sea of Galilee, and they're now following him. He's just called them to be disciples. He hasn't designated them as apostles yet. But on the flip side of this, even though crowds are following him to the point we learned last week that he actually had to go out into solitary places because whenever he would enter even a town, there would be so many people pressing in and crowding him, wanting to touch the hem of his garment that perhaps he would, they would be healed, that he, <clears throat> he had to do a lot of ministry out, where, <coughs> excuse me, out in like, the boonies, you know, out in the, the areas where not too many people gathered. And so... As his ministry is growing, he is now found here preaching in the synagogue, and the, the leaders, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, get really, really ticked at him. And the reason why they, they are is because they believe Jesus is breaking the Sabbath, the one who, by the way, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who spoke that command into being. He is the embodiment of that command, just so you know. And they want now to kill him. They believe that he is going to start a cult. After all, a lot of people are following him. They're having a really difficult time, though, explaining his miracles. They, they do believe we're going to, the very next passage, they attribute it to Satan. But they're having a tough time here. Where is this power coming from? Consequently, they want to kill him. They plan with the Herodians political group to be able to do this. Jesus knows this, and so he removes himself, and he goes out by the lake. So he, he withdraws to the lake, and people just start flocking to him. He starts healing them. I'm sure he's preaching to the point where so many are getting healed that those who have diseases, those who have contagious diseases, are pushing through the crowd 
And I don't know, maybe Jesus is wanting to do a little bit of disease control. Okay, oh my goodness, I'm going to heal you, but after I'm done with you, i got to heal the 10 people that you just touched. I don't know, but he is saying this is getting out of control. So he tells his, his disciples, hey guys, get a boat ready for me. Now, it's not because he's going to make a quick exit. It's because he needed a little bit of space. And that space would be water. So he's going to be out in the boat, and he's going to sit down. That's what rabbis would do. They would sit down, and they would teach. Now, I don't know if they stood or if they stood or if they sat on the beach, but that was now the audience. I don't know, 10, 20, 30 feet of water. You want to come touch me to get healed? You're going to have to swim. That's his thinking, right? This will help with the crowd control. It will also, you know, I'm sure his disciples are saying, hey, respect the water. Respect the water. Give Jesus a little bit of distance here. Respect the water, right? So anyway, he was ready to do this. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because we can see Jesus' popularity increasing. Demons who know who he is, and he does not want his identity, or at least his full identity, exposed at this point. And so... He is just, he, he goes by this title, Son of Man. He, he generally does not choose Son of God. That's what the demons recognize him. They're right, but him accepting that title might, might get him crucified a whole lot earlier than what he's wanting to. And so, in the sovereignty of God, in the plans of men, he chooses his title, but he commands the demons to be quiet. His popularity is increasing. And so he realizes for him to do the job that the father has called him to do, he's going to need other people to help him. He's going to need disciples that are specifically called so that he would train them, delegate to them, and then send them out which, by the way, is what the word apostle means, a sent out one. He's going to send them out. He's going to send them out amongst the wolves. He's going to send them out amongst the people who are sick and spiritually and sick physically to heal them, to cast demons out, and to proclaim the gospel to them, the good news of the kingdom that will set the captives free. This is what he has called them to. Who do you think he's going to choose? Most of us in our thinking, we would say, oh my goodness, you would want to give the guy who got an A-plus in his public speaking class, come on down, whoever your name is. Maybe Apollos would fit that bill. And there are Apollos's in the kingdom of God. Apollos was a very articulate man, very learned in the scriptures, and God called him. But when we look, when we look through these lists of names in just a moment, you're going to see something very different. And so... Excuse me. And so Jesus is needing to call certain men to himself. What is it then that qualifies them? Well, let me just say this, that there is, number one, a process of his choosing. We're going to see three things. I'm going to focus on the third because that focuses more on the qualifications. In this process, in this choosing, he has, number one, a process. And first, he goes to a mountainside. And Luke 6 tells us that he prayed there, listen to this, for a few minutes, and then he chose his... No, you know how long he was there on the mountainside? All night. 
we would think, come on, Jesus. I mean, you're God. You, you know, I mean, surely you and the Father had a little discussion about this, like before the creation of the world, who you were going to choose. You know, maybe they did, but Jesus had to learn and the Father had to speak and share with him his will. And Jesus pressed into the Father. And I don't understand all of the reasons. Does this not seem odd that the Son of God is praying all night about this decision? Because in the morning is when he called his disciples to him and chose 12. Church, all night in prayer. Uh, Of course, some of this prayer had to do with, God, who do you want me to choose? And when the father spoke Judas Iscariot, I can't help but wonder if at that moment he said, yeah, I need to tell you about this guy, Judas, because this is the guy who you're going to delegate power and authority to, and he's going to preach the gospel. And this Judas Iscariot guy, he is going to, (coughs) excuse me, he's going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to be healed through your name. And he, by your name, Jesus is going to cast out demons. But then he's going to betray you for 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. And you you will die. But I'm calling him to me. And I can't help but wonder the struggle that maybe Jesus had with this, not in arguing with the Father, but just in his humanness, wrestling with this. Let, church, can, can we understand that as much as Jesus is God, he is also human, and he, he, he wrestled. And then in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says he was sorrowful to the point of death. And I'm not suggesting that here, but He's wrestling, I'm sure, and and all night he's praying through this and and just so that he would be able to be aligned with the Father's will when he comes down from that mountainside to continue his ministry and be able to trust 12 men. I'm sure that he also prayed for them because in this process of prayer and the Father revealing what Jesus was going to do, what Jesus was going to say, because that is the relationship they had. I say only what the Father shows me, and I do only what, the fa- what I see the Father doing. That's the intimacy they had. And in this time of prayer all night, and I'm speculating here, I understand, but he's all night in prayer before he calls them and chooses them. And I'm sure God began to reveal certain things and the persecution that they would have to endure. Maybe the Father began to show them that Peter would end up being crucified upside down, that Andrew upside down at an angle, what we call Andrew's cross, that, Tim, that Thomas would be sent, would, would go all the way over to southern India only as he began to preach and do miracles and cast out demons to die, that James would be beheaded at the sword of Herod. And he began to pray for these, that they would be faithful, And so when he comes down that mountain, what do you think is paramount in his mind? How skilled they are? How attractive they are? I mean, yeah, maybe if you get a really, some really, a band of 12 guys that are really attractive, maybe a lot of people will flock to him. Not, uh uh. 
I'm sure that didn't even make it close to being on his list. Well, we're going to find out truly how disqualified these bunch of guys were. The purpose of his choosing was to send them out. It says right here that he appointed them that they might be with him. Do you see that chapter 3, verse 14? He called them to himself, appointing them as apostles so they would be with him. You know, if if you were to follow me real quickly over to Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin, and when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, that is, unlettered, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. How did they know this? Did they know it because there were such amazing public speakers? A few verses before that, actually, verse 8, it says, Peter, filled with the Spirit, said, Yeah, that's how they knew they'd been hanging out with Jesus. Because Jesus, the one anointed, the Christ, the anointed one, the spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon Jesus. And that same spirit was now upon these apostles, Peter and John. And a man was healed and they began to proclaim boldly, even if it meant their life, who Jesus was. He is the only way to salvation. No other name given among men under heaven by which any man shall be saved. That is Jesus. Boldness. The, the, the Sanhedrin stepped back and said, you know, when, when people are called to be rabbis, they start at the age of 12 and they come under a rabbi. And for 10, 20 years, they are schooled until 25, 30 and then, then they would become rabbis. These men have just, you know, maybe two or three years with Jesus. <laughs> Where do they get this power? And, and if, you, if you read on, that's the discussion they had. We, we don't want these, pe- these men, but how, how is it that they are able to heal this man? We have no answer to this. And they were frustrated. The only thing we can say is, stop speaking about this Jesus dude. We, you know, uh, d- yeah, mm-mm. don't do it. You can't. They could tell that they had been with Jesus. Something about hanging out with Jesus. Something about listening to him preach the truth and the gospel. Something about being in relationship with Jesus. They could immediately tell it. Not just because the man had been healed, this guy on <coughs> this uh, cripple had been healed so that he could walk. He'd been, for 40 years, crippled, healed now, dancing around, standing right there before the Sanhedrin. They couldn't deny the miracle. These guys, they have no degree. There's a lack of education. They have not studied the tradition of the elders. But we cannot deny there is something about these men In this healing and what they say, they've been with Jesus. You know what? I would love to have on my tombstone 
this man had been with Jesus. That's all that I know. When you're with Jesus and you hang out with him, as Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, choosing the better part, Jesus said, that will change you. To be with him, to preach, to cast out demons. There is no substitute for being with Jesus. Lastly, and I want to just, I need to jump into this before my time is expired. So there's this process of his choosing. There's this purpose of his choosing. And then there are the people of his choosing, 12 of them, in fact. Let's look at some of those names. As we go through these names, your only conclusion will be this. Oh, my goodness. What unlikely candidates to turn the world upside down. And then I want you to say this in your heart. That's what I want to do. I want to be that unlikely candidate. Because here's what you're going to learn. Church, what you think disqualifies you in the mind of God can qualify you, can qualify you. I'm not talking about lack of character here. But I'm talking about lack of skill, okay? Lack of knowledge, hands going higher. Lack of ability. Ugh, that's me. Yep, yep. Look at me. Peter. He was a fisherman for crying out loud. Actually, Jesus called to our knowledge a minimum of four fishermen. That means they had an equivalent of a sixth grade education. At the age of 12, generally, you either, you, as a man, you would choose, young man, you would choose one of two routes. You were either going to get schooled by a rabbi and be raised up as one, or you would help your father or some other man, and you would be apprenticed. These men were apprenticed under their father, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John under their father, Zebedee. They had their own businesses, <clears throat> and their businesses were partnered together. We learned this in Luke 5. But they were fishermen, sixth grade education, writing, Peter does, two of them, letters that would change the world from an unlettered, uneducated man. But you see, his lack of education is what helped qualify him. Think about that. Peter... His real name being Simon, Peter means rock. He was impulsive. When Jesus said that he was going to be uh, uh, crucified and raised the third day, Peter looked at him and said, in today's vernacular, excuse me, Jesus, but nothing doing. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in your mind the things of God, but the things of man. Peter probably looked at him like, are you talking to me, Jesus? What? I'm your man. I'm telling you, you're not going to be crucified. And Jesus looked at him and said, Satan, get behind me. Peter, the rock. <laughs> Let Satan speak through him. Can I, can I just ask you, have, has that ever happened in your life where, where you actually spoke words that deeply hurt someone 
words of anger, hurtful words. And when you were done, maybe you just, they deserved it. And Jesus is kind of whispering, kept your eyes on Satan. <laughs> oh, and, and you eventually, as you're praying, <laughs> it takes a couple of days to get to prayer because you knew that you did wrong. And finally, as you're pressing in, the spirit of God is saying, you need to go and you need to apologize to this person. Been there, done that. Okay. A lot of with my wife. Oh, how many times I have apologized. I am an expert at apologizing, just so you know. Okay? If, if I ever offend you, you just got to tell me because many times I don't know. And I will apologize to you. I'm so good at this. I have so much practice in my life. But you see, for Peter, he was impulsive that way. He, did, he, 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 he wanted to build shrines to Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration when they had disappeared. And he turned to Jesus and said, wow, Jesus, you know, let's build shrines to these two men. And Jesus is like, oh, Father, really? This is why I wrestled so much in prayer that night. Oh, Peter, can we just have a talk? And then, of course, when it really counted most, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, all, all of his disciples deserted him. Peter followed at a safe distance, mind you, followed Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, and there, you remember the story, Denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. When he left, because he was so heartbroken, because he had just affirmed to Jesus, I will never leave you. I am your man. I will never deny you. I know Jesus. Because Jesus has been talking about his death. Never. And yet there he was in the courtyard, courtyard of the high priest, denying Jesus three times. And and Jesus prophesied, you'll deny me three times before the night's out and before the rooster crows. And after the third one, Jesus, Peter hears that rooster crowing. And he remembers. And then one of the gospels say, as he looked away, he saw Jesus far away and eyes connected. He was so ashamed. I just denied. And he leaves, and Scripture says he wept bitterly. This man, who had denied Jesus, became one of the greatest world changers this world has ever seen. His weakness actually ended up qualifying him. Not his sin, but his weakness. We're going to talk about that. James. Son of Zebedee, brother of John. He was a fisherman too. He died. This is James, John's brother, died about 10, maybe as many as 14 years into their ministry. He was the first martyr of the apostles. The shortest ministry of any of them. 
And yet Jesus called him, even though it was for a short time. The others probably ministered for 30 to 40. John, John much longer, 60 years possibly. But James, a little more than a decade. That is all the time that God in his sovereign purposes gave to him. But he was called. John, his brother, together they were called Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Now, I'm not inclined to think that they're called sons of thunder because they were hot-headed, though they certainly could be. It is because they were passionate. When They were loyal. Three very quick examples. They go before Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we would like you to place one of us on your right and one of you on the left so that we can help you in this kingdom of God. This is going to be a rough time, Jesus, and we want to be able to help you. One at your right, one of your left when, you, when, when your kingdom comes. Can you do that? Now, of course, at the begging and pleading of their mom, moms are always behind a lot of these. And I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Oh, my. They, they have such vision for you children. They really do. <laughs> So, oh, they, they wanted to help Jesus so much. They'd, John had come across a young man casting out demons in Jesus' name, but he wasn't one of the 12, so he told him to stop that. <laughs> oh, how could you? You're not with us. And, and, and he, told, he tells Jesus, oh, Jesus, you got to listen to what I did today. You're going to be so proud of me. And Jesus listened to him, and he rebuked him. Oh, Jesus, Father, Father, all night in prayer and this. Oh, come on. I, I will believe you will be a world changer, John, yet. Oh, Boanerges. That's a hard word to pronounce, by the way, Boanerges. And then, of course, there was that time in which as Jesus and his disciples were passing through Samaria, you remember, and they would not receive him. Why? Because he was heading to Jerusalem. And that's where Jews go for the Passover. That's not where Samaritans go. And they knew that Jesus was a Jew, and so they were not willing to accommodate him. And so excuse me, James and John says, okay, Jesus, how about this? How about... If my brother and I, were, we'll just call fire down from heaven and strike them dead and burn them up. <laughs> just like Elijah did. Aren't you impressed, Jesus? Jesus was not impressed. And he rebuked them from, the scripture doesn't say what, what he said. I, I would love, Jesus, what did you really say to them? Oh, my James was the first martyr of the apostles, and John lived the longest. Brothers, Peter and Andrew were brothers, James and John brothers. Think of this, 12 world changes. Of all the 12 throughout Israel, four of them, four of them were brothers. That's one third of them. God, sovereign, you know what? Some of you are brothers and sisters, physically brothers and sisters. And God has called you into the kingdom sovereignly to accomplish amazing.
amazing things in his sovereignty. Not by accident. Just like these men called from being fishermen to pursue the kingdom of God. I, I, I need to move on. Andrew, I mentioned Andrew. Yes, he's Peter's brother. He's a fisherman as well. After meeting Jesus, he went quickly to tell Peter, we found the Messiah. He introduced the boy at the feeding of the 5,000 five, with five loaves and two fishes. Jesus, we found a boy. We, we, we've got his lunch here. Five loaves and two fishes. But honestly, Jesus, how far will they go among so many? And Jesus probably said, oh, Father, all night in prayer, really? You know what? Andrew, I want to amaze you with something today. I want you to feed them. And as, as they were going, you remember this, as the apostles were distributing those five loaves and two fishes, understand five loaves among 12, two fishes among 12 to spread out. And as they began more and more and more. Jesus was multiplying it through this little doubting Andrew. How can, how can this feed so many? Oh, you wait and see, Andrew. Philip. Philip was but from Bethsaida, as were Peter and Andrew. And he was, <clears throat> Bethsaida, by the way, was very close to where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. But before the feeding of the 5,000, he said to Jesus, eight months' wages would not buy enough food to feed each one of these, not even for each one to have a bite. Yeah, I mean, Philip was a realist. You know, he had his feet on the ground. That Peter, I don't know too much about him sometimes, but Jesus, I'm qualified to be your disciple. I'm a realist. You know, I, I really thought that's what really qualified me to be a good pastor. I'm a realist. Wow, did I have so much to learn about faith. Just like Philip. Philip, oh, there's so much for you to learn about faith. Man, it's going to blow your mind. Philip was the one who said, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. That is, and then Jesus said, don't you even know me, Philip? That's how Jesus responded to him. If you've seen me. You've seen the Father. Do you not get this yet? I'm adding that, sorry. Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel, he wondered <coughs> what good could ever come from Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth. He was friends with Philip, and Jesus then said to him, there is no falsehood or pretense in him. Let me put it in the present vernacular. Buddy, you call it as you see it. You speak your mind. Sometimes there's not a whole lot in it, and you speak that. But you know what? You speak your mind. You, there's, there's no pretense. There's no cover for you. Uh-uh. Everything, what you think, what you, your emotions, they're all on your sleeve. You just speak it. You just say it. How disqualifying that could be. How much trouble that would get him into. And yet there's something we're going to find at the end that qualified all of them. And that is the thing that Jesus was able to see. Matthew, also called Levi, son of Alphaeus. <clears throat> he was a tax collector. We learned about him. He was willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. 
He's the author of the gospel with his name on it, Matthew. Written to the Jews to emphasize the gospel going to the nations. Thomas, also called Didymus. The word Didymus means twin. That's his Hebrew name. His Greek name was Thomas. It's not just because he had a twin. We don't know. But he was willing to go with Jesus to Lazarus. And remember, with such devotion and conviction, Jesus says, you know what, guys? I think maybe we should go. And, and Thomas was in, let's go with Jesus and die with him. Oh, 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 guys, write that. That sounded so good. Write that one down. John did, I guess. John 11, this is what, this is what Thomas said. <clears throat> we'll go with him and die with him. Oh, that sounds so noble. <clears throat> and yet when he was told about Jesus' resurrection, mm, I doubt it, you know. Mm. No, uh-uh, guys, really? I don't think so. Yeah, a bit of bad beef the night before, bad pizza, something, I don't know. But you did not see Jesus raised from the dead. I saw him with my own eyes. He was dead, guys. Thomas, no. And so we get the expression, doubting Thomas. There was a weakness in Thomas. All of these men that I'm telling you about had such a weakness. James was the son of Alphaeus, probably not Matthew's brother. <clears throat> However, he was also called James the Younger later on in John. Just probably younger than John's brother, James. <clears throat> Thaddeus also known as Judas, son of James. And that's basically all that we know about him. Simon, the zealot, he had political ambitions before he followed Jesus. And I'm sure all along he's thinking, Jesus called me. Yes, he did. He knows that I know how politics work. And when he gets up there in Jerusalem and people are starting to follow him, he's going to look to me. Hey, so... Simon, the zealot, hey, yeah, you. Well, I want your advice on this. I mean, you, I'm sure Simon would lay awake at night wondering what, what, what questions Jesus would turn to him and what kind of advice he might be. After all, he was a political zealot. And that actually did not qualify him whatsoever. And then Judas the one who would betray him. I've already talked about him. All of these guys have one thing in common. We would never choose them. Never. You want 12 disciples to follow you? Wouldn't choose those guys. You want to spread the gospel to, yeah, I wouldn't choose them. Oh my goodness. They start tweeting someone at something out of the blue, off the top of their mind, first thing that comes to their head, and our ministry is tanked. So forget that he's too impulsive. But here's what Jesus did. He took that which was weak, that which desperately needed to be changed in order to qualify them to be apostles. Here's what they have in common. They all left everything to follow Jesus. Oh, think about that. That's the one common denominator. When the ruler, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, synagogue ruler, young synagogue, wealthy, 
was asked to sell everything that he had and give it, give it all to the poor and then follow Jesus, he walked away sad because he couldn't give up his God of money. And Jesus responded, it is so hard for the wealthy to make it to heaven because of that greed. And Peter says this, but Jesus, we, all of us, we have left everything to follow you. And he's not doing one of these backpatting things. Jesus, we have left everything. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus says, you know what? And you will be rewarded. Not only in this age, with many brothers and sisters that you had to leave behind, but in heaven, you will be rewarded with eternal life in that next age. And he commends them. Why? Because it's true. Church, they left everything. I'm running out of time here. Let me just show you this. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul tells them, he says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. When you were called, I'm inserting words here, you were completely disqualified. You want to be a world changer? Never happen. You're too disqualified. Unless the qualifier calls you. That's all that needed to take place. Brothers, think of what you were before you were called. That is called by the qualifier. Jesus, God himself. Now, many of you were wise by human standards. Now, many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world. God chose the Mike Curtises of this world and the Meredith Curtises. And I could go through each of your names. He's called you to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world like us to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world. And the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that nullify. You feel that battle of darkness and light of the two kingdoms to nullify it. So that no one may boast before him. You know why he called you as unqualified as you were? Was so that you would give up everything and surrender everything to him. And that you would kneel before the Father in heaven. And he would call you as his own. And he would qualify you. So that by faith you would not look to your own strength. Yeah, well, uh, I'm the smartest guy in the world. I think the smartest IQ is like over, it's close to like 220, 215, somewhere around there. Can't touch that, right? You know, when I read a list of, this is a little bit of an aside, when I read a list of past presidents, I was amazed at how unqualified those guys were when it came to education. Now, on the one hand, maybe that's why we're in the position we are in America. But the truth is that they, the thing that qualified them was that they were focused on what they wanted to accomplish. And I want to ask you, what is it that you want to accomplish? Did you truly want to give yourself to the kingdom of God? And when the Father calls you to say, I'm willing to give up everything in this life to follow you, to be a world changer, not because you're so smart, not because you're so skilled, not because you're so wise, not because you have so much knowledge and have so many degrees to your name, 
These were uneducated men that stood before the Sanhedrin, and they had been with Jesus. Unqualified, but qualified by Jesus. They had left everything. I want to ask you, what is it that you're hoping qualifies you? What is it that you're hoping to even accomplish in this world? To be a people of faith means we regularly look to God and not to ourselves, allowing him to work through us. As I close right now, I want to ask you, in your day-to-day life, what is it that you're really searching for? Because even as Christians, it is so easy to be distracted. I want to get married and have kids. And oh, 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 yeah, Jesus, that's right. Yeah, don't want to forget that. (laughs) There's Jesus. I I want to make a lot of money. And and of course, I'm going to give some of it away, right? (laughs) Sounds noble. I, and I want to make a lot of money. I'm, I'm, you know, I grew up poor. I want to live in a nice house. I want to have an awesome car. I want people to admire me. Okay. Oh, oh, oh that, yeah, of course, that's right. And, and there's Jesus too. And we are seeking after these things in church. The apostles were willing to give it all up. All of it. Now, here's the blessing. Sometimes after you've given it all up, on some occasions, but not all, Jesus says, I want you to have some of that back. I know you didn't want to be, I I know you wanted to be a rock star and and you wanted, I wanted to be a rock star when I was growing up. I was so deluded. I truly was. I was a Christian and I put so many qualified, Jesus, if if, 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 if you allow me to, play and sing before all these people, you know what, I, I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in a Christian rock band and we'll share the gospel with everybody. And Jesus had to interrupt me and says, okay, well, you know, Mike, I've, I've heard that one like so many times, but you know what, I want you to lay it all down. I'm so grateful that he didn't speak the truth and hurt my feelings at that point. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yeah. But rather, he said, Mike, there's just so much of you in these dreams. And I need to be, I needed to be all about me. And Jesus is asking you today, the only thing that's going to qualify you is this total surrender to Jesus. That's all he's looking for. He's not, he's not wondering how smart you are. He will use your gifts and your talents. Don't under, don't misunderstand me. But it is not so that you'll have a stage to perform on, but a platform from which to advance his kingdom so that all eyes are not on you, but on Jesus. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a people who are so intimate and so dedicated and leaving everything behind and pursuing only Jesus. That is who he is looking for. And every single one of us sitting here this morning can qualify. The main thing that qualifies us is that we made a choice to follow Jesus. But some of us are being held back. And it's the things of this world and the aspirations that are about me that are holding you back. Seek Jesus 
leave it all behind. Let him be the one to change you, and you will be amazed at how he can use what you think disqualifies you to actually qualify you and use you to be a world changer. So that on your tombstone, it might read, this person abandoned Jesus. Or this person turned the world upside down. Can you stand with me? Father, this is, this is a hard truth for us to wrestle with. On the one hand, we can feel so inadequate that we choose to sit on the bench. But it's those very things that we think disqualify us and make us feel weak, make us feel like we need to lean on other people and most particularly upon you that actually qualifies us. So today, God, we're choosing to lean on you. We're choosing to set aside personal ambitions we're willing to set aside those things that are clouding that vision that you have for us. Those things that are distracting us from the true call of God that's on every single one of our lives. We're choosing to set those things aside. We're choosing to leave everything to follow you. We give you our hearts. We give you the reins of our life. Take control. You lead us, God. I die to self. Come live your life through me. Right now, God, would you do this? Those who have been discouraged and they're sitting on the bench, would you lift them up right now to their feet? Would you qualify them? Would you stir in their hearts to pursue you with everything in them? And would you use them? I believe they're your key players, God. So we lay our heart before you. And we ask God, please, whatever it takes, use me. Use me, please. In Jesus' name.